Welcome to the Atypical Rainbow. I'm Paul. And I'm Grant. And this is another episode in the series Spectrum Analysis. Today we're going to talk about the myth of answers. That's probably a nice way to summarize it. And once again, I'm going to start with the TV comparison. Yay! So, for those of you who haven't seen it, there is a show called The Good Place. If you haven't seen it, why not? What's wrong with you? Go watch it now. Um, currently available on Netflix. Well, for those who have watched it, I'm going to do my best not to spoil things. I'm going to, but I want to focus on a particular episode in season four called The Answer. As a little bit of background, one of the main characters named Chidi is a moral and ethics philosophy professor. Uh, and he dedicated his whole life to trying to learn the, the rules of the universe based off uh, through a philosophy called deontology, which is the idea that society has to exist by a certain level of a number of rules uh, in order to act ethically. This episode, The Answer, goes through his entire life and actually shows that from a very young age, he was very focused on the idea that every problem that you face, if you work hard enough and if you read enough books and if you study hard enough, you will find an answer to it. And having watched this episode, it just makes me think that this guy was unintentionally autistic. I don't think that was how they intended to paint him, but certainly this pursuit of rules and pursuit of uh, an order to the world certainly sounds very autistic to me. Um, And the other part of it is that he applied this kind of philosophy to his relationships. So one of the flashbacks is about a former relationship where his girlfriend felt that they weren't a match and his argument was that they both liked this particular philosopher and that's the reason why they should stay together. So very fact, literally based in terms of reasons for it. And why I wanted to talk about this topic is because what I'm encountering a lot in my work is this idea that everything has to have a solution. People keep trying to reason away certain presentations, certain symptoms, certain behaviours of people with autism. And from an internal perspective, it seems to me like it is the individual looking for control, looking for an order to the world in a world where order just doesn't necessarily exist or doesn't apply to everyone. But what it also... Um, made me think about is the idea that we really do need to let go of this search for answers because one of the biggest problems with Chidi is that this search for answers led him to be paralyzed by choice because whenever he was faced with a choice he had to keep asking himself is there a right answer is there the best answer and has he worked hard enough to discover this answer which ended up with him freezing rather than doing anything and that in and of itself, is a counterproductive philosophy. Yes. So I, th- I think um, from the point of view of, say, remote learning, which we did earlier this year, I think the kids coped much better with maths where there was an answer than English where there's not an answer. Because, like, open-ended activities, it can be hard to know which story is the right one because there's no such thing as the right story to write. So I definitely see where you're coming from there and how it can paralyze our kids, particularly Jake, mm. with indecision. And I think this is, I remember reading many years ago, I can't remember what the name of the book was, but it was like written from the point of view of an autistic child. And one of the things that happened was he got asked to write about something on his weekend and he spent an hour thinking about everything that happened on his weekend rather than doing anything. Was that running with scissors or the no. other one? Or look me in the eye? No. Oh, okay. It wasn't... Yeah, it wasn't look me in the eye. It wasn't... Um, 
curious case of the incident of the dog in the night. It was another one. Not as well known. Okay. Yeah. So, with Jake particularly, with English tasks, sometimes he does need a prompt to stop thinking of different answers in possibly a pursuit of the right answer Mm. or the right thing to write. Yeah. Because I know for me, I find that when... I have I have similar issues when I am faced with a choice. So I've actually learned that sometimes the, the best thing to do is just to do it and face the consequences later. Because one of the features of autism is this difficulty with um, abstract concepts. So not that it is impossible to think about abstract concepts, but that the abstract concept can be really hard to process because as a person with autism I'm constantly taking in all the information everything that's happening around me I'm piecing it all together so to be able to process that in a way that is meaningful and logical can be quite overwhelming uh, and so and so I actually respond better if I have tangible evidence of something even if that tangible evidence is failure the best thing for me to do is just to go in there, make the mistake, and learn from that. And then that's how I actually get better and feel more confident in myself. But for people who don't have that kind of insight, often it is paralyzing to think, well, I don't want to go into the situation not knowing everything, so they end up doing nothing. Yeah, and I also think that that can be a learned behavior if failure has been ridiculed. Yes. Yeah, like... I think the ability to safely fail is important to learn that you don't have to find the right answer. Yeah. Like, if you constantly have someone telling you, oh, you know, you made this choice, but that's not the choice I'd make, so therefore you're wrong. Mm. Like, there is no right answer, but the other person who's often an authority figure thinks that their version is the answer, and therefore you get punished from deviating from an answer that is actually no no truer than what you actually came up with yeah and and i think there is always the risk of confusing fact with opinion and i'm glad that Mm. so the kids as part of their you know government funded education spend a lot of time learning to differentiate between facts and opinion Um, because certainly you know in generations above us they were very easily confused the idea that certain things are wrong and certain things are right, <clears throat> like, say, homosexuality, and that is the end of it, you know? I'm glad that we've challenged those kind of misconceptions and we're trying to teach our kids about the distinctions. Um, I think that the pursuit of answers is reasonable, but I, there is there is a lesson to be learnt in just letting go. And... You know, one of the things I do wish for our kids is that they learn that lesson early. Because I learned that lesson very late in life. The ability to just accept that certain things are going to be the way they are. And it, as so long as it doesn't negatively impact you or someone that you care about, or even just another person, then you can just decide that actually this is an op- a matter of a difference of opinion. And you don't have to like it, but you don't necessarily have to agree with it. And it's certainly not your position to make the other person change because they're opinion is different yes though i think you have to be careful with the idea of um an answer negatively impacting you meaning that it's wrong because for instance with things like being safe during a pandemic or taking action on climate change there can be losers Mm. like if we need to take action on climate change and your family are coal miners 
then sometimes the truth and the answer can negatively impact your friends and family. Yeah. And, you know, if it's kind of like, okay, we need to keep society safe, so that means you can't go to the shops. It can negatively infect, affect you, but it can still be the right thing to do. Mm. Yeah, so I think, yeah, you have to be careful of not thinking that the right answer will be the easy answer. Yeah, yeah. And I think also there is something, uh, there are areas of life where answers aren't necessarily helpful either, like relationships. So the idea of finding the right way to have a relationship, I think, is very narrow-minded and doesn't really allow for the fact that relationships, by their very nature, are very emotional. They're not often factually based. And so I think that's what this episode um, really stood out to me because of this idea that he thought that the basis of a good relationship was sharing the same interests. And yes, in part, that is certainly true, right? But that's not everything. There has to be something to be said for emotion and passion and connection. It's not just about... Um, finding the right solution. Because, again, his, his way to resolve the relationship issues was to read more books and was to find an answer that would just magically resolve everything. But again, And he also like, was looking to find an answer that said that emotions shouldn't matter. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That you shouldn't act on emotions. Yeah. Yeah. So, once again, he was trying to justify his own position without being willing to either accept or change things. And I think... That's but I can see why the the answer of ignore like ignoring motions and cold logic would be appealing because mm. I guess in cold logic you kind of gain some control which like I guess the autism desire for control so I think it, his issue started with basically fi- trying to find the answer that caused his parents not to split up so he wanted an outcome which was that his parents would stay together. So he looked for an answer that would answer that. And he believed that there would be would be one answer he could find that would save him from the emotional pain of his parents splitting up. Uh, so, and I think he just went through life looking for answers that took emotion out because emotion, especially other people's emotions, is something you cannot control. Yeah, and what was funny about that episode, from that perspective, is that he kept getting this essentially positive reinforcement that by approaching life in this manner, you would get uh, you would get an answer, and the outcome would be positive. And um, you know, part, half of his issue was that it affected all his relationships, it affected his friendships, and everything in his really negative way. But he still focused so hard on this need to get an answer. He just couldn't see past it. He made, he he built his whole life around it. Again, deontology is uh, is the study of ethics, whereby there are rules that all society needs to follow in order to function. Now that's nice, and don't get me wrong, that's why we have laws. That's kind of the point. But like with a lot of things, it depends on how far it extends and whether the intent of the law and the intent of the rule is fair and just for everyone, or whether it is simply an extension of an opinion. Yeah, like, we're, like, we can have laws that the majority like because it suits the majority. Yeah. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, basically. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess, again, you know, in this in this time of COVID, in this time of lockdown, um, it, it, we have to find that balance, as you said, between what is good for the community in its entirety versus what is simply personal preference. Um, so obviously masks is the big contentious issue these days. I 
I don't like ma- wearing masks. I still do it because it's the right thing to do and because it's it, it's for the benefit of the community. But it certainly makes me feel claustrophobic and certainly on these sunnier days that we've been having, it's not particularly comfortable. But you got to find that balance. And sometimes we just have to do things that we don't agree with, but that benefits others, not necessarily fits other people's opinions per se. Yeah. And I think it is important for people to differentiate opinion and fact. Mm. I think... There's one of the things that sort of over the years I've seen with, I guess, elections due to people mainly hanging out with people who have the same opinion as them. Like when everyone you know supports a, a party, it's very confusing when a different party wins. But you don't, but that's because there's like millions of people voting mm. and you don't know all those people. So I think that sometimes people are like, well... You know, I have voted this way, so therefore that must be the answer. So why is everyone else not voted that way? Or at the moment in America, it, obviously everyone did vote that way, but someone's changed the result. Yeah. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of people in the world who are confusing opinion with fact. Which can be difficult, I guess, from a scientific point of view, because a lot of people don't understand that science is never 100% set. Mm. Especially, I think, watching it play out in real time with COVID and the COVID vaccines and stuff. People are like, why are you being inconsistent? And the answer really is, we've learnt more. Yeah. Like, we did our best based on what we knew was the most probable theory. thing. What the evidence said was going on. So, South Australia recently went to lockdown because they were concerned that the coronavirus had mutated. And a lot of people in the rest of Australia were like, I don't think it's mutated. But the, what turned out, they were basing it on someone had lied to them. So, they were basing it on the evidence they had been given. The problem was the evidence was faulty because someone had lied. Mm. So, if you went on the evidence, you're like, okay, this, the coronavirus is behaving in this very strange way if we believe that everyone has told us the truth. So then when it turned out someone hadn't told the truth, they're like, actually, no, it's it's actually acting exactly like it normally would. But we had to act as if it was doing differently because that's what we knew at the time. Mm. That's the evidence we had. Um, and a lot of people who don't haven't studied science or haven't studied science at like a university level get really confused by that. Mm. Like, why the facts are changing. And like, well, they can't be facts if they change. Um, so I think that... I imagine with an autistic person who doesn't understand that, that would be really confronting and confusing for them. That the answer actually changed. And people are like, oh, this is the right thing. And then the same person you trust is telling you something completely different. You're like, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> Should I trust you? Um, and I guess it goes back to that honesty thing with kids. Like... <laughs> Mm. Um, how honest should you be so that they trust you next time you tell them something yeah and again I think the the biggest lesson there is that you have to kind of know how to critique something I think is really the, the best one like which is which is hard in an information age when we are so bombarded by different sources. It's really easy just to fall into echo chambers. It's really easy to fall onto, um, you know, trusted sources that aren't necessarily acting in a trustworthy manner. And so it's not necessarily about finding the right source, but about 
knowing how to perceive something in a way that is balanced, in a way that is, you know, reasonably logic-based, and not just kind of going on, this feels right. Yeah. And I think that that's one of the discussions we've sometimes had about whether it's a good thing to expose yourself to views you don't agree with. Mm. Like, I, I purposely expose myself to views I don't agree with. And I'm sometimes I find that if I purposely go out to seek a view that I don't agree with, I'm probably a bit closed-minded to it. So it can be hard to do. Mm. That's why I like the ABC, because I'll have a panel of people, some of which I agree with, some of which I don't agree with. But it's the information is presented in such a way that... I am more open to listening to these people yeah, and seeing the nuanced thing. So I think it's important to hear what other people are thinking who might not normally agree with you. And also to do your own research. Whether something seems stupid or whether it seems to fit what you already believe. I think it's important to check on things. And I think I've talked about that before with when I did my own research into a left-wing... Thing that basically said that racism caused a Chinese restaurant to close and it turned out to close with renovations. Because I did my own research, I discovered that the per- like, even though it was like, oh no, like, I kind of was already politically over that area, I didn't take it automatically at face value, I checked. Mm. My main problem at the moment is that it's really hard to access a lot of different news articles from different outlets without paying for every outlet. <laughs> um, and I kind of wish there was a way for everyone to basically be given access to different views without having to pay for a paper that generally you don't disagree with their views just to check whether they have a point, they have something you can, you know, agree with. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's 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 a different issue with obviously business versus ethics, and it's, well, that's why I also like the ABC because yeah. the, the purpose of the ABC is for everyone to have access to reliable, balanced information. It's just that some people don't think it's reliable and balanced, and probably some shows are not reliable and balanced. Mm. But I, I try to watch shows that are a bit more balanced. Yeah. So with that newspaper thing, like a lot of things in life, if it were free, you'd be more willing to do it. <laughs> but if, because you have to pay for it, it, it forces you to reconsider whether it is of uh, adequate value or whether it meets your needs in the, in the way you intend it to. But it's kind of like this thing where you're trying to do the right thing, but capitalism stops you. Yeah. Yes. But it's also, you know, it's a, it's, it's, it, well, it's capitalism, whether it's, meeting basic funding needs I think is the difference well yeah but like you get another example of it I guess would be if you can't access fruit that's not wrapped in plastic it's very hard to use less plastic yeah like if every shop has wrapped their fruit in plastic it's like it makes it basically impossible to make the ethical choice yeah so in a way with the news it's kind of the money has got in the way of trying to do the right thing yeah, so the system needs to change, which, which again, is dependent on the individuals, on, I guess, the community at large making that change or pushing for that change to occur. Yes, though I don't know how you could do that change because, you know, these are commercial newspapers. They do, like, they're all dying from not having enough money already. <laughs> yeah. Um, they kind of need their readership. Even the papers I don't agree with, I guess they, you know, I understand that they are a business. Mm. 
Um, and I, yeah, I do wish the ABC was funded so well that we didn't need anything else. <laughs> but I feel like that also might be too North Korean. So yeah, it's <laughs> like, like kind of like this utopian version that's very easy to corrupt. Yes, indeed. I mean, talking about the sources on a much smaller scale, one of the, um, one of the things that I'm, I'm not sure whether this is an autism thing or, or just a general teenage everyone kind of thing, but the idea of when your parents say something, you take it differently to how, if you heard the same thing from someone else. So, um, I have this one patient who wants to buy a ghost train. It's like one of those carnival ghost trains. And... His mum, uh, who's who's absolutely right, keeps telling him actually there are reasons why that's not possible. Right? Um, you know he doesn't. He he has an intellectual disability. He wouldn't be able to get a job. It'll you know earn the money to get that kind of stuff. Like just lots of different barriers. Um, but he Does wants he have room for a ghost train. Well, no, he wants to run, own and operate a ghost train, not just have one in his own oh, house like he, for fun. Oh, sorry, I thought he wanted one like in his backyard. No, 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 no. Like to operate at a carnival. Right? Oh, or to okay. operate at fates to rent out or whatever it may be. Yeah. But hearing it from his mum is is received differently compared to when he hears it from his psychologist. And I, I know I actually have that same problem. I mean, admittedly, my relationship with my mum isn't particularly good. There's a lot of backstory to it. Um, but I do acknowledge that it, depending on the source of the information, I do tend to receive things differently, even if the information is exactly the same. Mm. Which, once again, comes back to the idea that you can't take emotion out of fact. That there's always going to be some degree of, of element of that that's going to influence the way it's both expressed and received. You just have to be willing to not react immediately before you either act on it or, or make decisions on it. Did you ever get that? Did you ever have that issue where you receive different things differently from your parents versus other people? Um, you forget that I, I believe my parents lie about cars. (laughs) Yeah. Um, too trusting. Okay. Wrong person to ask then. I don't know. I'm trying to think. Like, I feel like I let my teachers expand my knowledge more, like by opening my mind up to philosophy and critical thinking and stuff. But I feel like that's just something that happens with teachers. Like... I'm not sure my parents were trying to open my mind up to philosophy and critical thinking. Mm. So I can't really think of an example where someone basically told me the same thing. Like two different people told me the same thing and I listened to one of them and not the other. See, I for me, I guess I can't really think of a specific example at the time. But I, I, I've, I'm sure I've mentioned before the idea that you understand things better when you're older. So all these things that my my mum definitely said to me that I would learn later on, um, I did. She was right. Eventually, I did. And I kind of wonder if someone else had told me that, someone who I had a better relationship with, whether I actually would have received it better. Like, I'm, I'm fairly certain I would have. Like, if I, if I even, like, a friend's mum, who I had no particular uh, emotional reaction to, I guess, you know? I think it's hard when you're trying to... When I, when I was growing up, I was trying to be very independent. Well, no, let me take that back. When I was growing up, I was very independent by virtue of the fact that my parents worked a lot. And I, I never saw that as a bad thing. It was just the way it was and I learned to deal with it. And then as I got older, uh, my mum tried to involve herself in my life more. But she did that by basically trying to take over and tell me what to do. Which, you know, being both autistic and having been given the, you know, free range farm to be able to live on. So that I could actually make my own decisions. All within safe bounds and um, by being hyper 
I'd be vigilant about doing the wrong thing, I was fine with, you know? So I think that... I, I wonder whether if I had um, heard different advice, the same advice from a different person, whether I would have received it differently. It's possible. And I think maybe that might just be a common teenage thing. I, thought, I think your, like, your situation was a bit more unique in that you were given independence and then your mum tried to draw it back, mm. which was never going to work. But I feel like a lot of teenagers like resist listening to their parents and therefore would probably be more likely to listen to, you know, a cool young teacher. Um, I know this because I used to be that school, that cool young teacher <laughs> who kids would listen to. But why is that? I, I mean, I'm sure some psychologist has analysed it in the past and, and written a book, a whole book about it, I'm sure. But I do wonder why that is. Because looking at it objectively, again, taking the emotion out of it, it doesn't make any sense. Well, no, I think it does make sense. It, like, I think it is possibly a necessary part of growing up is to become independent of your parents. Mm. So it could be just a psychological thing that occurs as like an evolutionary thing. So you don't remain independent, like dependent on your parents forever mm. and therefore unable to like move on once they pass on, which used to be much younger in your life. True. So I guess like with, with certain people with certain disabilities, they are dependent for longer or maybe even life. Mm. Um, but I think that that sort of teenage rebellion thing is probably some sort of evolutionary thing to make you independent, make you go off from the herd and start your own herd pack or whatever you want to say. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think the, yeah, the idea is that you are meant to rebel at some stage. So maybe we're hardwired to do that. So, you know, is that something we should be accepting? Like when our kids grow up, should we just, when, if they do this kind of thing, should we just go, all right, you're going to stop listening to me for the next five to ten years. Uh, I'm just going to, you know, leave you to your own devices and wait till you're ready to come back and listen to me. I think if a child decides, maybe because they're, like, overwhelmed with the amount of hormones going through them, <laughs> uh, that they're not going to listen to you, that anything you do to try to make them listen to you is probably counterproductive at that mm. point. So I think that, yeah, all the... All you can really do as a parent if your kids decide to, you know, rebel in their teen years is to, I guess, be remain who you are and be ready for when they come back in their 20s or something and then have a different relationship. I think the Goldbergs recently talked about this, like the idea of having a healthy adult relationship with your adult children Yeah, is different from... Like, if you continue behaving the exact same way, you're going to not have a healthy adult relationship with your children. Mm. So, I don't know. Our kids might rebel, they might not rebel. Your mum, for years, has been, I don't know, assuming they're going to rebel against her and mourning the loss of their innocence with no real evidence. <laughs> um, well, that's because she, she didn't expect I would do it. She, cause, that's uh, true. She didn't expect you to do it. So, so now she's afraid. She's, now she's afraid, traumatized, yes. as it were. Yeah, you traumatized your mother. <laughs> Sounds really about right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think if, if a kid decides to rebel in their teenage years, there's not much you can do. Mm. I think... Well, you know, you can treat them... I guess you got to make a safe environment for them to make their mistakes. I think we've gone through that a couple of times. Yeah, like I think I, I'm, whether I said this before, I can't remember. We've done that many episodes, but I know I've talked a lot about the idea of a foundation. So I know that when I was growing up, 
Well, so more so in my teen years and my, my uni years, what I really craved was a solid foundation from which I could then explore, mm-hmm. knowing that at some point I could come back to it if I decided to or if, if I needed that security again. Because which is basically was... how they describe babies having healthy attachments to their mothers. Mm. <laughs> that they're like, they'll crawl away and then come back. Yeah. But you kind of wanted that in a psychological way. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess back to the idea of choice more than anything else. Have you ever been paralysed by choice? Yes. Mm. Yeah, I've been paralysed by choice, but I don't think it's because I think that there is an answer. I think that I know there's multiple paths, and once I pick one, it means I can't pick the others. It's a bit like what you're talking about with you can't go and be, you know, an unpaid intern screenwriter. In your 30s. Yeah. That's something you kind of had to do at a certain point. But at that point, you were doing medicine. So, I guess it's more about multi-potentiality and knowing that there are multiple paths I could take. But once I choose a path, then that's the path I'm on. And that there is no right path. Like, I think if I believed there was a right path, it would be easier. It's kind of like the idea of um, religion being the opium of the masses. If you outsource the answer, and if you outsource your path to a book, or a god, or a person, or a priest, then that actually makes you feel more secure. Oh, absolutely. I agree with that entirely. I feel like, yeah, I feel like getting frozen by looking for this answer is almost an atheist thing. Um, whereas I don't think, I don't believe in there being an answer, so I don't outsource it or believe for myself that there is one right way to pick things. Like, I'm happy with where I've ended up, but there was no way I could have predicted. Like, you know, when I was in Ballarat and I was hating it, and therefore I decided to come back to Melbourne, I didn't go, oh, this is the answer. I'm going back to Melbourne. I'm going to meet a guy. I'm going to have two children who are awesome. Is just like, I'm not happy here. <laughs> mm. I'm, you know, all my support networks are in Melbourne. I'll go back to Melbourne. You know, that's where I want to live. I chose to live there. And I didn't... I neither expected nor knew where it was going to lead. Yeah. Whereas I, I took a much more autistic approach to everything. And again, particular relationships, which is the idea that I know this is what I want. I just don't know how to get there. And I need to figure out a way to get there. I was, um, it was interesting, I was talking to uh, my friend the other night about uh, unconscious bias, which is probably a whole other topic in and of itself, but I said to him that when we used to go out to clubs, which I used to hate, right, I used to think my obligation was to pick someone up. So what I would do is I would only make eye contact with other Asian people, because I just assumed that other, I'd have better chance of picking up another Asian person than I would a white person. Um, because I was trying to find a system. I was trying to find a routine. I was trying to minimize my risk of failure by not being open to possibility. And instead, I just, again, it got paralyzed by choice or lack or the uncertainty of the situation. I ended up doing absolutely nothing and just kind of hating it. Mm. Whereas uh, if I had just, on the days when I just go in, like we, we, you know, we would go out and we'd go dancing. I just didn't think about it. I just went there to enjoy myself. I think I probably had more opportunities, but because of my autism, I just didn't see them. Yeah. Like, I kind of noticed it and went, oh, that might have been something, but I didn't know what to do with it. Like, I didn't know how to action it in any meaningful way. So, the easiest thing to do was just ignore it. 
Mm-hmm. But it might be that I missed out an opportunity. I mean, I don't think I did. I, I think I'm, I'm very happy where I've ended up now. But it's just, it's funny thinking back on the ways in which the volume of choice, the multi-potentiality of anything, as it were, does end up influencing your decisions. And sometimes there are days I wish someone would make decisions for me. Mm-hmm. Again, there is a there is a limit to that. I, like, I wouldn't want to be controlled or owned by someone. Uh, but at the same time, it's nice to think that some things are just handled. That there are just parts of my life I don't have to put the brain power into because someone else is doing it for me or someone else has given me clear instruction that I can then follow. Like, I remember um, when I was a resident, I was working in the urology uh, ward and my registrar um, sat me down one day and and told me I was doing a really good job because, uh, and he didn't want to use this word, he said, because I'm obedient. (laughs) Because I basically do what he tells me to do, and I always verify that I've heard the instructions correctly. Because actually, it was for my own security as much as it was for his own security. Because he he then knew that I was following his orders, and I knew exactly what I had to do. So that all I had to do was follow instruction, and then move on, rather yes. than having to make decisions for myself. I think your problem was, the only person who was willing to do that was your mum. And you're like, no. Yeah, well, exactly. Again, it depends on who you receive it from. When you got the offer, you're like, no. <laughs> Came for the wrong person. Um, yeah, so I get, look, the, the, the biggest lesson from all of this is that the, yeah, the, the paralysis of choice and the fear of getting something wrong is mostly based in uh, illogical thought because there are some things that do have an answer and that mm. are backed by evidence and experience, but some things are just opinion or more, not even just that, some things actually don't have the kind of impact that you think they might. So there are lots of small decisions in life that actually probably won't be a big deal. Um, But... And some of the biggest decisions when you look back are actually going to be small decisions you didn't think were big decisions at the time. Exactly. Right? So rather than agonizing over each individual decision, the best thing to do is just either go with the flow and just decide off off your own instinct and trust in your own ability to deal with the consequences or be able to analyze a decision by separating it out, and this is a very autistic way of doing it, into that which is significant and that which is not significant. And admittedly, that's not always going to work either. As you said, sometimes small decisions have big impacts without you intending them to have big impacts. Mm -hmm. But if you need a system, if you just need a way to categorize your choices, maybe that's a start rather than being overwhelmed by the volume of information and the volume of choice. Yeah. So I think with Jake, one of the things I was considering doing is getting him like a little sheet of paper with like the numbers like one, two, and three. And he writes down his first three thoughts. Then he has to pick one of those. That'd be a good idea. Yeah. yeah. Just narrowing it down, making Just it saying, tangible. Now stop thinking new things. Yes. Pick one of these. Tangibility. Like, that, that's, a, that's a lot of it for, for me particularly, and some, for some of my patients. And I think that can be really hard for carers to understand. They're kind of like, but I get it. Why don't you get it? And yeah. because tangibility is a big, is, is a big hurdle to, to overcome for people with autism, on a, no, who, for some people, because, yeah, the abstract is hard to piece together. Yeah. So just being able to put it in a way that is physical, logical, visible, holdable makes a big difference. So yeah, the, the idea of writing it down 
really works. Mm -hmm. So for me, the same thing kind of applies if I am trying to learn something. If I'm trying to learn something, I can't just listen to it. I have to write it down. I have to say it out loud. I have to apply it to a person. Once I apply it to a person or a patient or whatever, it makes so much more sense to me than if all I had to do was regurgitate a book. Mm-hmm. So, uh, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share uh, the link to this episode. We are findable on Facebook and Instagram at The Atypical Rainbow. Make sure you subscribe wherever you get good podcasts and uh, keep an eye out for the next episode. Thanks very much. We'll talk to you next time.